Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Winter, author and book coach. Before I introduce today's wonderful guest, I just wanted to give you a heads up that in December I'll be offering early bird prices on places for my next non-fiction book proposal group program, which is going to begin at the end of January. So if next year is your year to get stuck into that book you've always wanted to write, do keep an eye out for that offer. The best place to do that is to sign up to my newsletter, which you can find at pennywinsorwrites.com, and I'll pop the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's guest. Emily Henson is an art director and interior stylist who is the author of five books. Her latest is called Create, inspiring homes that value creativity before consumption. It's a gorgeous and inspiring call to ditch shopping new as a go-to and to think more creatively about reusing and buying secondhand. Emily talks with me today about her journey from stylist to author, as well as some of the nuts and bolts of what really goes into writing and producing an interiors book. She also talks about the collaborative long-term relationship she has with her publisher. This is a super fun episode for me because as many of you probably know, I spent 15 years working as an interiors photographer. So it really was a joy to bring both of my passions together in one episode. Create is out now and the link is for it is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Emily. It's so great to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Penny. Thank you for having me. Very excited. I have lots of things I want to ask you, but I guess what I wanted to ask you first was you're a really experienced art director and stylist. Um, you've worked with some incredible brands. Um, why is it that you also like to write about interiors? Well, the funny thing is when I was in school, I was always a very good English student. I was really good at languages. And then when I went to university, I completely went away from that. Um, so I kind of, in a way, I've come back around to something that I used to be good at or, or used to be good at in school, but didn't think I would pursue as a career. So um, it's not something that I planned at all. And the way that I came to do the books, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, it wasn't um, where I think when I thought about creating books, I don't think I even thought about the writing that much. I used mm. to flip serious books and just think how beautiful the images were. And I was actually always focused on the, the styling of the images going back to the beginning days of my career, not really thinking about the writing, to be honest. Um, and in fact, my first book, Modern Rustic, I didn't write. I, it's, it's funny because it's, it's quite different from the other books, but I, I pitched the idea, it was completely my idea, but I worked with Joanna Simmons, who's a, an interiors writer, and she did the writing and I kind of oversaw the creative side of it. So. Mm. It was only when I came to do my second book that I found the confidence again after many years of not writing to realize, oh, do you know what? I actually, I do know how to write. I used to be a good writer. So it's it's kind of, it wasn't something I set out to do, but now that I'm doing it, I can't imagine not writing the books myself. That's so interesting. I don't think I'd realized that you didn't write your first book because I always think of you as an author stylist, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that you do both because as someone, obviously I've, over my career, I was commissioned a lot to shoot other people's books. And actually, um, it's kind of 
it's not unusual for me never to have met the author of all the books that I shot. Um, occasionally I, I did work directly with an author, but often I didn't even um, work directly with them. And it would be, I'd be working through an art director. Ah, oh, that's so interesting. Yes. Yeah, so now I think there are books that are still like done in that way. Um, now with the photographers that I work with, it, most recently it's been Kath Ratwick. We, it's a very collaborative thing. We're mm. on the shoots together. So she's taking the pictures and I'm, I'm, um, styling them and then also I write them but yeah it's it's true if you go back and look at some of the older interiors books I've got some on the shelves here it's always there's often a, a writer involved as well as a photographer and mm. yeah I suppose it depends on what your what your well skills are and what your confidence is like and like I said when I first when I got the first book deal I had just moved back from the states it was like 2011 um I'm trying to think of how to make this a short story. <laughs> I had come back and I was essentially starting my career over again. But it and you know moved from the states, come back to London. Was trying to meet people, and I, I think it's actually how you and I met many. Yeah, we. I remember the two of us met and had a coffee, and um, yeah, I do but remember I, that. You know, what happened was I. I'd moved back and I was starting my career over. It was really difficult. I come back, the kids were young, decided I'd lived in the States for about 20 years and I came back to the UK um, and thought I could translate my work in the US to the UK, but it was really difficult. People mm. didn't know. Yeah, I didn't connect. So I had to just hit the ground running. And I went out and I started meeting agents, um, magazine editors, and that's how you and I met, because I met your agent at the time, your photography agent, and they connected us and said, oh, you should go meet this person, meet that person. And they're the ones that said, you should go see this publisher, Rylan Peterson Small, because they produce loads of books, and maybe they would be interested in you kind of styling some of their, whatever, craft books or something. And so I went to meet them, and they, I mean, I was really lucky, because I went, showed them my portfolio, and it took ages to get the meeting. I was working at a job that I really didn't like at the time, but really wanted to you know, get this meeting. And then I got the meeting and they said, would you be interested in pitching at, like your own book ideas? So I'd gone there just thinking I was going to do some styling on some random books that would just, I would just be a stylist credit rather than an author. So I was in a position where I then presented some ideas to them. Um, so interesting that it happened that way. And so just to kind of, um, cause you're a lot of your work, um, started out early on with your blog life unstyled. And so was life unstyled already happening at that point, or did that come after that meeting? No, that was already started. So I started that in about 2009. I was living in Los Angeles at the time, um, with my ex-husband and my kids, he was American. So I'd lived there for, for years. Um, and I started it at the very, very kind of early days of my styling career um, because I was, this is before Instagram, mm. before Pinterest, before all of the things that we know now, but it was, I was kind of doing these shoots and for, for editorial, for magazines mainly, mm -hmm. and some commercial, and I would see all of the chaos around and then, and then you see that final image. Yeah. It was so perfect. And this is now it's really common. We all show all the behind the scenes stuff, but back then you weren't doing that. So I, I started the blog and my first post was a picture of my house, areas of my house styled for a magazine, really perfect. And then there was another picture that was that same area as it normally is, right? It was like <laughs> fantasy versus reality thing. So I started that years and years ago with that idea of kind of, 
I'm a stylist, but but it takes a lot to create those beautiful homes and don't be fooled by the images you see in magazines. And, yeah. Which again is now something that I think we're all it's really common now. Well, this is what I frustrated. I'm like, why is no one talking about how that's not Mm -hmm. a real room? That's not a real kids' room. Where are all the toys? Where's all the mess? Yeah. Well, this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about, actually, because I think back to when I first started as a photographer in the I started shooting interiors in the mid-2000s and just how drastically things have changed. Obviously, things have changed sort of, you know quite badly for us in the industry in many, many ways in terms of budgets and things. But um, but in terms of um of this idea of of showing something that is more accessible, that's kind of that had that shows life, that shows something that's lived in. It's it's something that actually back then, 15 years ago, was not being seen. And I remember you as being one of those early stylists really kind of talking about it um and kind of showing this other side that you know we can actually live in really beautiful but really lived in places that show our own unique personalities yeah clients were not interested in showing that at all even like on on shoots now they'll now every shoot I'm on the client wants behind the scenes they want to they're not afraid to show a you know a film studio and the set that we're styling and they're not afraid to show all the chaos around it whereas back then Mm -hmm. there's no way they would have showed that they wanted to hold on to the like creating the illusion it was Mm -hmm. selling right and now it's now it's come back the other way. I'm like, I've been telling you that for 15 years. <laughs> oh, well, um, your first book obviously happened sort of quite out of the blue, um, unexpectedly. But tell me now you've done this is your fifth create, which is your latest book, um, is your fifth book with Ryland Peterson Small. And I'd love to know now, especially as an author that's worked extensively with one publisher, how is the process now? Is it a dialogue between you and the art director and the editorial team? Or do you very much come up with a bit of an idea first before you show them anything? How does it work these days? Now the way it works is that they'll come to me once once a year twice a year when they're having their kind of new ideas meetings and say to me do you have any ideas which is a really amazing position to be in Mm. um it wasn't like that at the beginning so then I will either there's you know the past few years I haven't had any ideas (laughs) I haven't been ready to do one but when so I haven't done a book now for four years obviously the pandemic happened but usually if I've got a few ideas um then I will put them together and present one or two for, for the first book, I presented five ideas. <laughs> oh, wow. So it, depends. it depends what I've been thinking about. Um, and then I will present essentially kind of a PDF that has some inspirational images and some rough ideas for chapters. Um, you know, often it's quite bare bones, but I try to present it, you know, how I want the cover to look like all of those little pieces. And then I'll present that to them. Um, that's that's usually how it starts. And then they'll feed back and say, oh, we really liked this one. Or, um, I mean, I have been lucky that that I've pretty much always been able to move forward with an idea. Not not every time. There've been like for Life Unstarred, for example, which was my third, I think. That was an idea where oh, I had done a couple of, I'd done Modern Rustic and I had done Bohemian Modern, which were quite trend based. Mm. And I obviously wanted, you know, I've been writing the blog, Life Unstyled, and I wanted to do this book that was kind of inspired by the blog. And I think I pitched it a couple of times before it actually got picked up. Mm. Ready for, or maybe it wasn't, for whatever reason, it wasn't the right time. Um, but yeah, from that point, 
that's them. And then we kind of, I work with the publisher to flesh out the idea. Yeah, that's so interesting what you're saying about life on style, because I think I was looking, I was just looking at it again um, this morning as I was preparing to chat with you. And it's two, it was 2016, I think it came out, was it? Is that, yeah. that sound about right? Um, right? Which is funny, isn't it? Because it to me, it's your book. It's what I think of when I think of you, even though I know your other books. This is the one, this is the kind of one that comes to my mind as being very unique to you. And, um, and, and it's interesting, I can sort of see in a way why in 2016, that they were only just getting their heads around being able to produce a book like that in a way. Yeah. Yes, because it definitely. did feel really contemporary at the time. It did feel really kind of um, new in a lot of ways, I suppose. Yeah, it was all about embracing imperfection, and not that not that books like that hadn't been made before. Because I'm there were a lot of books, many of them I had that people have been talking about that concept for a while. It's not a, a brand new concept, but for it to go a little bit more mainstream, where you're yes. showing homes that have got as I always say, kind of like some cables showing underneath the desk and, you know, like a wonky lampshade or just not everything's perfect. People were at that time quite reluctant. But um, for whatever reason, I think they they finally were ready. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I was just going to say earlier about, I was thinking about with my first book, how it did happen. um, I was quite lucky to be connected with that particular publisher. However, it's in a way it was almost if you believe in serendipity it was almost a serendipitous thing as well because years before when I was in LA most of the interiors books that I had but I've got some of them here some of my favorite ones were with Rylan Peterson Small mm. like Selena Lake and Emily Chalmers you know I would pour over them because I, I was living in LA as well and the style there was very polished mm. through these books by English stylists and just I felt much more of a connection so for me to then end up publishing my books with that same publishers was kind of special so it wasn't like it just kind of ha- fell into my lap I do think in some way I probably subconsciously guided it <laughs> I like absolutely to and oh gosh I remember Emily Chalmers early books in the kind of I guess it was in the early 2000s and they yeah definitely I know exactly what you mean <laughs> such yeah, gorgeous she books she lives near me now and we've become friends so it's oh that's so nice <laughs> That's so nice. And so a little bit more on the process of um, of writing and producing um, a book that's illustrated. You know, your books are incredibly beautiful coffee table books. Um, they're um, how many images generally in a book? About 160, 180? 160, yeah. Yeah. So obviously it's a huge amount of the work for you as an author is, is, um, is obviously styling, but also finding the right locations that match what it is that you want to want to talk about in the book. Um, so um, talk me through what that's like to, from the kind of the kernel of the idea where the publisher's like, great, I love it. The shape sounds great. I like your ideas. You can go ahead and start kind of pulling it together. What do you go ahead then and find all your locations first and then write after you've found all the locations? How does it work? Yes, that's typically how it happens. So I'll, I will, once I get signed off on the idea and, you know, we have a contract in place, then I will usually work with my editor first. Well, simultaneously, the editor, and there's also a location kind of specialist at my publisher called Jess Walton. And then I work with my editor, um, Annabelle Morgan. So I'll work with them simultaneously. Annabelle will work with me to flesh out the the chapters because what I learned from the first book when I really didn't plan at all for the shoots I would just kind of show up and work with what we had now I've discovered that 
to find right locations, I have to know what I want to write about, which sounds really obvious now. So I'll, you know, break down the chapters and then and then look for locations that fit either the trend or in this case, since it's about creativity, fit that that sort of um, idea. And then I work with the location specialist and we just between the two of us will start looking for the houses that fit. We decide if we've got the budget, you know, they'll say, oh, we've got the budget this time to do Europe as well as the UK or my early books. We used to go to America back in the day. (laughs) Times have changed. Right. Um, That hasn't happened post-COVID, but you never know. And then we'll just both of us start finding locations that fit. And Jess is really great. She's been doing this for years. She works on all kinds of amazing books. So she, you know, she'll find on Pinterest or on architects' websites or magazines. Um, I have found it used to be that I would find houses in magazines that I wanted to include in the book. Now it's kind of the other way. We found houses for the books and then I end up seeing them in magazines after so it's the process has changed a little bit there Mm, yeah but yes then we just find and then I so we find the locations and that typically we don't just suddenly find 12 all at once that's how many we need it's a process we'll we'll find we need to find a couple as quickly as possible because we before we've even finished shooting or writing it we have to create a sales booklet about the book you know you're trying to sell the book to booksellers a long time before you're finished with the book. This is something we should talk about because uh, this is something that probably people outside of this world it, yeah. who are used to producing books but not used to producing pictorial books um, might not understand. I remember in the day, back in the days where budgets were pretty decent, um, <laughs> but I would often get employed to for one day to do one or two days on the book and then four or five months later, I would do the rest of it. And that was because they would get me in to shoot the blad and they would mock up the blad with, um, say, one chapter or a couple of sections of chapters and they would have their cover and um, it would all look beautiful inside. So it was actually all designed and everything. Um, And then that would go off to all the book fairs to try and sell the book in different regions. Um, And it's funny because obviously it's quite different with with nonfiction that doesn't, that isn't illustrated because you end up with a proof at the very end once the whole thing is written. So it's a slightly different process. So does that mean then in terms of the writing for you, does that mean that you um, focus in on writing certain sections and then shooting a couple of houses early on and then uh, get that done first so they have something to work with and then go ahead and do the rest? Yeah, kind of. It's all, it feels like it's all sort of happening at once. So within my initial pitch, I will have done some writing. I'll usually write an introduction, a summary of the idea. Um, and then even within each chapter idea that I have, mm. I'll, again, a little summary. So there is some text to begin with. Yeah. A blad, which is the sales booklet, right, that that they use. What does BLAD stand for again? I can't remember, but yeah. <laughs> something, I think. Um, so there's already a little bit of text. And then, and then, as I said, we'll just have to find, if we can find three locations before they need to create the BLAD, that's amazing. Because what I try to do is find three that are quite different. Mm. BLAD always, it just looks like one house. Yeah. You know, there's images just from one house. So if we could get two or three houses shot before they need to make the sales sales booklets that's ideal and then we kind of pull and just you know it's a little thing there's like what four or five pages or something within Mm. this booklet so you don't have to do a lot but then I'll have to do a little bit of writing at that point um it's tricky sometimes because if I don't find 
locations at that stage that flesh out the whole idea is quite hard to sell the idea like with this book for example there's not one with create there's not one particular style of house mm. like like with bohemian modern for example the houses all had a bit more of a, a bohemian vibe whereas this one a bit different so if I didn't find houses that felt diverse enough to sell my concepts that it can be it can be tricky you know it's it's different every time <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and, and then, then the writing, so, the writing itself in bulk happens um usually it's it's done after the photography so I don't really start writing until the photography is done because I do have to write it once it's been laid out yeah yeah, that's interesting. So, so once the photography's done, um, and the uh, designer's done uh, is working on the design, and then you write around the design. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. That's really interesting. Yeah, and then I'll work with the designer um, again. So this time it was Megan at Megan Smith at RPS, and then we'll work together. I'll have a you know I have a meeting with each of the different people at the publisher my editor who oversees the writing and then Jess who oversees the location and then Megan who's or whoever is designing the book with each of them and I'll go in with ideas for that particular part of the book so I'll have a meeting with a designer and say this is kind of thing I'm going for this is how I'd love to you know show inspiration images of how I think the layout should be colors text all of that stuff fonts um and then even as she's beginning to lay it out with this constant feedback she'll send me PDFs or kind of ideas and then I might say well can we do whatever whatever is the the feedback so it is a it's constant it's uh kind of constantly changing and it's not like it happens in these big chunks yeah I wish it was I wish it was like you sat down for six months and I just focused on it but it's not it's pieces yeah it and of course you're doing all this while also art directing and styling freelance yeah. as well of course yeah. <laughs> so like all authors you're juggling a lot of different um jobs at the same time often yeah definitely and that's that is the challenge with scheduling both because you're trying to schedule my set design work and that just comes I, I you know if a job comes in I want to take it I have I take it mm. and then if it's, if it's trying to be worked in around the shoots then we have to work out my schedule the photographer's schedule the homeowner's schedule mm-hmm. all of that travel has to yeah. be planned you know it's it is a lot but I'm not doing it on my own I've got a really great publisher who handles a lot of that so yeah. but yeah it is a juggle and so in terms of the um I'd really like to hear from your point of view about what it's like working with a photographer and being in a team in that way when you've got a particular vision and um for what it is that you want to write about and what it is that you want to say and then you are now because you've now worked with um Kath this is the third book isn't it with Kath but yeah how is that how is that relationship and how does it work between you on the day when it's sort of down to it it is really really important to find someone that of course you like their work I love the work of all the photographers who've done my books um uh, but you also have to make sure that you have a good personal relationship with them because you're spending when you, especially traveling for these shoots, you're traveling, you know, you might be flying and then staying in a hotel, having breakfast, lunch and dinner with this person and then working together. So it's not just about liking their work. It's about getting along as well. Um, and so Catherine and I, Catherine Gratwick and I have found we work really well together. She's very creative as well. Her photography is beautiful um and she's very easygoing and we just have a natural rapport so that's mm-hmm. really helpful 
Um, and then on the day, you know, she will have will have discussed the idea beforehand. She's only doing the book because she's interested in the book. Mm. Do you know what I mean? she's, she's agreed to it because it's an, an idea she's interested in. She doesn't have to do this. <laughs> so already we're on the same page about liking the concept. And then I will, before the before we travel for whichever shoot it is, um, you know, she'll see images and we might have a chat. And she she will have seen my brief on the whole book. So she'll kind of know what the chapters are. So when we go in, you know, we have one day at each location. And weirdly, most of my books end up being shot in the winter. So it's <laughs> against daylight, <laughs> especially if you're in Europe. You know, we did a lot of these homes were in the Netherlands. And so we had quite limited the time of year we were shooting it. So you get in there, you might get in there at nine and have to be done shooting by three, three thirty by the time you're losing light. So we go in and we just usually panic for about 10 minutes and go, oh, my God, it's so amazing. There's so much to shoot. What are we going to do? What, you know? And then we kind of go re review, walk around the whole house um, and decide what works for the chapters. And then Kath will think about an order. She'll take a look at the light, the way the light's moving and decide which rooms to start in. Um, often we'll start big to small, you know, do some big room shots and then go in for details. Um, yeah, and often, not often, but sometimes you walk away and we couldn't get everything we wanted because some of these houses we go to are so incredible and sometimes quite big or just have lots of areas and mm. we don't shoot everything. We have to shoot what works for the book. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? I feel like in a way having done this for many, many years, it's really interesting hearing you describe it <laughs> from your point of view, having done this for many years, um, there is something quite exciting about having to just pull it off on the day. Like you turn up, you've come all this way and you just have to pull it off. And it doesn't matter if there's a thunderstorm outside and the light is, is just completely dropped or whatever the constraints are that um, you just on the fly have to make it work. And there's something in a way that is quite exciting about working like that. Definitely. And again, on each of the books, things have gone wrong on certain shoots where we've showed up and either a camera hasn't worked or um, or we've gone to the wrong address or, you know, there's been a few things that have happened. And it's not like you can be like, oh, don't worry, we'll just come back. We'll come back another day. It's like, no, we flew here. Yeah. And there, this is it. We have to make it work. And yeah, you do. You, you just find you become a really good problem solver. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, it helps when you're working with someone who is positive and and also a problem solver. You know, you don't want to be with people who are kind of like downers. <laughs> you just got to get on with it and make it work. <laughs> very true. Very true. I always say to people that ask me about, you know, what it's like being a photographer, like what you need, like what skills you need. Um, I was like, well, obviously you need to be able to take a good picture. That's a given. But it's only one of the very many skills you need to have as a photographer. And the top one being you just need to be able to problem solve on the fly completely and also do it in a way and get on with everyone at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> it's so and, true because especially when you're working on not not necessarily on books, but working on with clients, commercial clients, you're not going to get booked again if you're not a nice person. It's all yeah. very well being a good photographer or a good stylist, but if you make everyone unhappy around you. It's, yeah, it's it, you've got to be the whole package, really. Yeah, the whole package, indeed. And and so just on a really practical level, just because if um, people listening who haven't 
um, don't really understand much about when illustrated books are commissioned. Do you, is your advance as an author separated out then from the photography budget um, and the styling budget, or do you get given a pot and then you have to decide how much within that? Because I know I'm pretty sure as well, the US and the UK often work differently on this front as well. I have heard in the US authors being given a lump sum and then they have to pay the photographer, also organize their own travel, all of that stuff out of that, and then and then pay themselves as well. So with us, the way it's worked with this publisher is that's all separate. So my advance for the concept of the book is separate from all of that. And then they handle whatever the photographer makes and the travel costs are separate. Um, I don't know how it is with other publishers in the UK. Yeah. My experience as a photographer has always been that I have been paid by the publisher. I've never been paid by an author before, um, which is interesting. But it was interesting when I heard Americans talking about it from a different point of view. I remember being really shocked that like, I remember hearing a food writer talk about, oh yeah, I got this great advance, but obviously, you know, the photography is going to cost this much. And and I had to decide whether I'd spend the money on a food stylist. And I was like, what? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Well, of course you would, first of all, but also like, um, but this idea that, you know, that, that, um, that all of that comes out of your personal pot, which means that you make less money, which is, um, it seems like a recipe for, um, you know, corners being cut, but, um, so I quite like the way it's done. Yeah. And it's really stressful. I think really stressful. Really stressful for the author who's maybe obviously a good writer and with illustrated books good at the creative side as well but not necessarily not everyone's really organized or yeah in schedules or bookings and all that stuff yeah I think it sounds really awful a really huge advance for me to to agree to that yeah exactly that would have to be a lot of money otherwise I wouldn't do it I know because you'd be producing as well I mean you already are doing a lot of production the way that you do it for sure I mean I think this is the thing as well is that you know anything illustrated is going to take a huge amount of production and even if that's like um we've had Sophie Howarth on the podcast before talking about um writing about art and even writing about art that she wasn't commissioning that existed in the world still took a huge amount of research and um and production to make that all happen and obviously there's lots of contracts that need to be signed and releases and all sorts of other things that come into it when you're talking about illustrations as well yeah definitely um and in terms of your latest book create um um which is a gorgeous book about this idea of creativity before consumption. Let's just talk about that as well for a moment. Um, like I said earlier, this is, I feel like something, this is a thread that, you know, you has woven through your work from very early on. Do, was it a, in a way a difficult concept? Um, do you think maybe it couldn't have been commissioned a few years ago, this idea that, you know, an interiors book where consumption isn't the kind of main point? Yeah, it's, it was, it was difficult to produce. It was difficult to find houses that fit, to be honest, because um, I do address this in the book as well, because, you know, a lot of the houses we shot, of course they've bought things. Yeah. You know, it's not about this idea of like, oh, you just got to stop buying and everything has to be secondhand. It's more that, look, you do what you can and maybe we can all start thinking differently about things. Like, do you do you have to buy a new sofa or could you recover it? It's that kind of stuff. And, and it can go from big to small. So um, it was challenging even now actually to write because I didn't want to be hypocritical and I didn't want it to seem unachievable either. Mm. So, and uh, even at the end of the book, you know, the little tweaks that we made at the end where I would, when we were laying it out, see an image of 
a, a really beautiful kitchen that was new, a brand new kitchen that the homeowners decided to put in because everywhere else in the house they had kind of done secondhand or been creative and not consumed. And so it's this idea of like when to splurge is the way that I tackled it because I thought it's not realistic to expect people to just stop buying things. And and it's not that consuming is bad. It's just thinking more consciously about the way that you mm. consume. And also something like a kitchen has such a vital function to it. And we all live in homes that are imperfect in lots of ways. And sometimes we need to have something made to fit in a way as well, right? And and often that might happen in a, in a kitchen. Um, yes. And so, like you say, it's like, obviously, um, you talk a lot about, about um, getting really creative and thinking really laterally about what it is that you put in your home, not just objects, but also furn- like built-in furniture and things as well. Um, and, you know, you know, you gave that gorgeous example of the um, using um, sort of old shop fittings and stuff for, for kitchen islands and, um, and old science tables as kitchen islands and things like that. So thinking really laterally about how we can reuse what already exists um, and create something around that. But like you're saying, it doesn't mean that there isn't a time and a place to have something that is also deliberately sort of made to fit the house that you have. Exactly. And also what I say in the book is that if you have to go to, um, I don't know, Ikea or whoever, where, wherever it is, somewhere that's more, or even like, you know, high street place where you're buying something that is mass produced and it, and it was, you know, it's all you could afford was to go to, I'm not going to say a name, but a high street supermarket and buy your whatever buy a vase there I don't know why I always like ceramics in those places as being they're mass produced and but that's fine do it but don't think of it as like a throwaway thing think of it because it's this throwaway culture of buying things that are cheap and mass produced Mm. that's the problem I mean look if you if we could all stop buying this stuff that's mass produced that would be even better but if you can't at least buy something and don't just think well I'll just hold on to it and then I'll get a better one and I'll throw that one away no buy it and keep it yeah. It's about keeping things in production. I think, it, oh, sorry, in, in circulation. It's about the things that already exist now that have already been produced and built. It's about keeping those things in circulation instead of them going to landfill and mm-hmm. replacing, replacing them. So even if it's something cheap and mass produced, that's okay. Just hold on to it. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is so important to talk about because I feel like it's being talked about in fashion quite a lot. And it's yeah. it's really, really under talked about in interiors and fast interiors is becoming a big problem, um, especially because a lot of the high street super, like shops and supermarkets have got into interiors. Um, this idea of, oh, let's update your look and kind of, you know, buy new throws, buy new cushions, buy new glassware, buy new things every sort of season um, because they've got something to sell every season. Um, and it's sort of followed the road that fashion has gone. And a lot of what you're, what you're right about always feels like almost the antidote to that in a way, which is not that you can't have these things. It's just, yeah. you know, we need to think carefully about how many how many different glasses do we need over our lifetime? Do we need to replace yeah. them unless they break, obviously? Absolutely. I mean, I, I have some conflict in my own career currently because I have two sides of my career. I've got the books and particularly the, the latest book, but all of them have always been about this, this idea, really, of re, reuse or um, just being creative. And then the other side of my career is set design and styling for some of these brands. Yeah. The ones that we've just talked about. And I love those shoots and I love the clients. And I actually really love the photography that we create. 
hate, but I do feel uncomfortable because it's like I'm speaking from two sides. I'm saying do this, but then I make a lot of my income from helping these brands promote products. So that's a whole separate thing. But I do always <laughs> feel like I want to address it because it feels hypocritical. It's something I'm trying to sort of steer away from, you know, make my career much more about the side that I feel passionate about, but it doesn't happen overnight. So no, not at all. And this is something that I always felt a little bit conflicted of when I was you know, shooting full time. I remember somebody saying to me, oh, like, um, do you imagine, um, like, you know, it's not, not, not to do with that consumption is not really anything to do with you. And I'm like, well, actually it is something to do with me because I made that vase really beautiful and really appealing. And you see that picture and you want to own it. You know, I am a part of that system and I feel like I have to own that I was a part of that system. It's not that what either of us are doing is like terrible or anything, but it's still a part of a system that is perhaps that well needs perhaps quite a lot of reform. And I think so it's quite good to talk about it openly about yeah. that we are all kind of as creatives sort of part of the system. But also we do need to make a living. You know, writing books is is not an amazing way to make a living no. <laughs> for most writers, for most authors. No. Yeah. Um and I will say a lot of the brands that I have worked with over the years are seemingly trying to make changes yeah even in terms of when we plan a new shoot for a particular brand and normally that would be like new trend new trend new trend they are now trying to have more kind of core product that just flows through yeah and then it's okay it's replaced with some newness but um so they are trying but yeah it's it's a tricky one (laughs) It is tricky. I, I recently worked with a um a flooring company. I still shoot a little bit, but just not that much anymore. And I was so excited to see that they have a plan for all the flooring that's left over from all the shoots. Um and they're they're used in various different ways. Um they're looking, they they donate them to different places that accept flooring and and things like that. And they've sort of got they're trying to kind of really think very consciously about all of their consumption all the way through from the showroom to shoots and all these sorts of things. So it is really exciting to see that there is. There is lots of change happening. People are not going to have an option anymore. I think yeah. the expectation is going to be, especially from younger generations. I mean, my kids now are in their early 20s and they try not to shop. Um, they try not to buy new. So I think it's going to get more and more difficult for these big corporations to get away with it. I think we just have to keep holding them accountable. Um, but yeah, it's it's a big time of change, I suppose, for, for all industries. But you're right. Fashion is getting a lot of attention, mm. but maybe here is not so much in terms well, of talking about it yeah well hopefully there will be more in in the future um I also feel like something I feel quite passionate about is this idea of just because consumption we need to reevaluate consumption and the way we consume things it doesn't mean that we can't live in beautiful homes and I think as well that's what one of the things I really love about your work this idea that it's not that we you know all humans deserve access to living with good design. It's not frivolous. It's something that should be, you know, really core to us. I think particularly at the moment, obviously with everything the way, um, <laughs> everything that's happening in the world at the moment, the cost of living, the climate crisis really, really coming to a head. Um, it can sometimes, I feel like it could probably be easy to say these things don't matter, but um, I don't like this idea that we don't deserve to live in, in places that are more than just safe and dry but they are also um are beautiful and can affect our mood and all of these different things it is yeah it's important I think I feel the same way as you were for a long time even with my books I used to do this thing where I would just be like well it's just an interiors book or I'm just an interiors author 
And I still have to fight that urge to say that because, yeah, I'm not writing about anything. Well, I was going to say life changing, but your home can be life changing. So, <laughs> but I, you know, I think it is. Um, it's important to to give it value. I think the home is really important. Um, so yeah, I just think it's important that we talk about it in a different way. Yeah, and that's our homes being important and paying attention to our homes doesn't mean spending lots of money or being really fancy or consuming lots of stuff. Exactly what you talk about. It just means paying attention to what it is that you like, how you like to feel in your own spaces. Yes, absolutely. Making sure that it's a place that represents you, your style, or or even maybe you don't know your style, but it helps you figure out what it is. It's a place of experimentation with, um, you know, creativity. And it's, yeah, I just think it's it's like the one place where we can just have something that is ours and represents us. Of course, fashion does that as well, but our homes are are really it's just a place that's it, it should be a place that um when people walk in they know something about you mm. walk in and you're like oh penny i, I you know I, I like i feel like i know something about you from seeing the tapestry behind you on the wall or mm. like that's and that's what you want you want to get there's a story you want to understand what the story is about the person and everybody's story is different some people don't like to have a bunch of stuff out some people like to have everything on display and then everything in between um and that's that's how it should be right just it's about showing who we are to the world or just to ourselves <laughs> well thank you so much for having a chat with me today what a delightful conversation I feel like my two worlds coming together um but <laughs> yeah. yeah thank you thank you so much and the best place to find you you're on Instagram is life unstyled is that probably yeah. the best place for people to find you probably best place yeah um at life unstyled and then the blog is lifeunstyledblog.com um and my styling portfolio is emilyhensonstudio.com so i'll make sure that those are all in the show notes as well thank you so much my pleasure thank you 